You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. HuntStand is the most popular and functional mobile hunting app on the market. With a variety of base maps to choose from, satellite imagery that is updated every month, the ability to check the weather, no property information, and even catalog your trail cam picks, HuntStand even gives you the ability to import pins and location markers from other mobile apps. Visit HuntStand.com or download wherever you download your apps. Enter discount code SN20 at checkout for 20% off. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin-cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. You're listening to the Average Conservationist Podcast, brought to you in partner with 2% for Conservation. 2% for Conservation's mission is to create an alliance of businesses and individuals that ensure the future of hunting and angling by committing their time and dollars to fish and wildlife. 1% of your time plus 1% of your money equals 2% for conservation. 2% helps businesses and people pair with conservation causes to support things that fit what they care about. Whether you are into hunting, fishing, or just getting outdoors, 2% can help you not only start giving back to wildlife, but get certified for it. Getting 2% certified means you've made the same commitment as popular brands like Sitka, Stone Glacier, and Seek Outside in giving at least 1% of your time and dollars back to wildlife. But it's not just for outdoor companies. Breweries, contractors, coffee roasters, and even piano repair companies have earned 2% certification and stand out as leaders in their communities for doing so. Businesses that, businesses that are committed to conservation deserve your business when you shop. Learn more about 2% for conservation at fishandwildlife.org. That's fishandwildlife.org. What is going on, everybody? Happy Wednesday. Welcome back to the Average Conservationist Podcast, and I'm your host, Marcus Ewing. All right, today I am joined by Rob Hummel, and Rob is the owner and founder of 2% Certified Mountain Man Deer Processing. And <clears throat> what that is, is a mobile deer processing setup, which I think is just an incredible idea. And basically, the way it works is, um, you know, in the area that, uh, Rob operates in. If uh, you're a hunter and you get a deer down and you want to want help to get it processed, um, call Rob out. He comes out there um, and basically breaks everything down for you, um, cuts everything up, gives you the cuts and everything that you're looking for. Uh, vacuum seals it, and within you know a couple hours time of Rob and him, either Rob and his team or just Rob himself showing up, um, you know, you have your deer ready to go, ready to hit the freezer. 
And <clears throat> one of the nice things, uh, and Rob and I talk about this, is that, you know, a lot of times when you take your deer to a processor, you're not uh, 100% certain that the meat that you're getting back is actually yours. And, you know, with that comes, you don't know how um, the animal was cared for, um, you know, how it was handled prior to potentially showing up at the processor or wherever it is that you're bringing your meat. So there's a lot of questions out there. And what Rob does is, you know, he puts your mind at ease. I mean, you know exactly what it is that you're getting and he's going to make sure that you get every last uh, ounce of of you know meat off of that deer that that you're able to and you know rob's been you know an outdoorsman a hunter for you know pretty much his entire life so he has a great deal of experience and takes a great deal of pride in the work that he does and he knows how important meat and you know the work that goes into getting a deer on the ground uh, how important that is so you know his his approach his his you know philosophy is that you know you you as the customer are going to get or going to receive you know the same care and attention to detail that he would have if you know if he were processing his own deer um so i think that's a you know a lot about you know what um, rob's mindset is and I think with that is going to come uh, an extremely high level of quality uh, from the work and, and from the cuts and, and everything that you're going to get. Um, yeah, it's it, it's a super cool idea. And, you know, prior to speaking with Robin, doing a little bit of research ahead of time, you know, I was not aware of, of people that were out there doing this. And it makes a lot of sense because there's a lot of people who, you know, don't have time to get it to a processor if there's not one close. Uh, don't have the means to to process a deer themselves, and you know what Rob and his team do is that you know they take a lot of the guesswork out of it, and they just make it um, extremely easy uh, to get things um, you know packaged up and and in your freezer and ready to go. So super fun episode. Um, yeah, it was one that uh, was uh, really enjoyable for me, and I think you guys are gonna enjoy it too. And you know, if you guys are in, you know, the, the tri-state area, uh, where Rob operates and you're looking for an alternative, uh, for processing your deer, um, this season, uh, definitely be sure to look them up. So episode 145 with Rob Hummel, uh, enjoy. Before we do that though, uh, get into the episode, um, want to tell you about my friends and partners over at Stone Glacier. Um, you know, we're coming up on turkey season and spring bear, uh, now's a great time to pick up some gear for not only the spring hunting season, but also as you prepare for your potential out-of-state hunt um, or just your regular season as it is uh, next fall. Now's a great time to slide over to Stone Glacier and check out all their gear, whether it's you know shelters, sleep systems, uh, mid layers, base layers, outer layers, whatever the case is, and most importantly, uh, a good pack. So head over to stoneglacier.com, check them out. And if you haven't already, be sure to download the Stone Glacier app and stay up to date with everything that's going on there. You can download that on the uh, iTunes store or at Google Play, uh, whichever your device is. So again, check them out at stoneglacier.com. All right, Rob Hummel, welcome to the Average Conservationist Podcast. How are you today? Fine, thanks. How are you? Hey, I'm good. I appreciate you... Uh, Make some time. I know we had to reschedule last week. You had some uh, some sick family members there yeah. in the house running around and everything, and I 
push back our time tonight because it was my son's birthday today and festivities just mm. they ran a little bit long. You know how those things go. Oh, absolutely. Right? Happy so birthday to him. Take some time. So, <clears throat> Rob, before we kind of dive into this a little bit, why don't you tell the people uh, a little bit about yourself and uh, the name of your company? All right. Um, my name is Rob Hummel, and I started a company called Mountain Man Deer Processing. Uh, we are a mobile deer processor, um, basically in the tri-state area. Um, and we kind of saw that uh, with the new laws and rules and everything else like that, being mobile was really the way to go. Because um, we can go over state lines and process, and you know everybody's getting their deer that day. So what does your background look like? I mean, were you... Are you a butcher by trade or just something that being in the outdoors for a long time, is just something you've become really comfortable with, really accustomed to, and just figured you could help other people? Um, so I'm actually in law enforcement is my primary job. Um, okay. But I grew up in a hunting household. Um, and that's kind of how this whole thing got started. You know, I, I learned from my dad, um, who's been hunting my entire life, you know, how to process and, you know, everything else like that. Um, so I was always you know, cutting up deer and cutting them up for myself. And then all my friends would call me up and ask me to process their deer. Um, so after a while I decided, you know what, let's see if I can make me make a couple bucks doing this. And, uh, it kind of, kind of snowballed. So how old were you when you kind of first got into hunting and got into the outdoors? Um, honestly, I was pretty young, you know, um, like my, my family had a cabin in the, in the Northern Catskills. So ever okay. since I was a baby, we had been going up there, you know, and it kind of started with the fishing and, you know, going out with my BB gun and, you know, stuff like that. Um, and it just kind of, you know, I lost it for a while. I ended up uh, going away to college, uh, playing D1 lacrosse. And then uh, once I started my job in law enforcement, I was around a lot of people who hunted and uh, it kind of came back to me and. Just uh, never really looked back at that point. Yeah. All right. So I got some follow-ups there. Where'd you play lacrosse at? Uh, Sacred Heart University. Right on. No, it's, I always love um, when we get, when I, so I, the people listening are tired of hearing this, but I played Division Two college football a long time ago. Um, so whenever I get another athlete on here, I'm always super excited, especially like someone who's played at, at a higher level. I mean, D1, I mean, it's as high as it gets as far as lacrosse, unless you go pro. Yeah. Um, it's a lot of work. But I had a very similar kind of path where I grew up in a hunting family. Did it all through growing up. And then I would imagine, like, even when you got into high school and lacrosse, is that in the spring or is that in the fall? Spring. Okay. So you at least had your falls wide open for, for deer hunting and whatnot. But, yeah, you get into school and then, yeah, sports takes over right and you don't really have any time for it and i was probably in my mid-20s before i kind of reconnected with the outdoors again and kind of fell back into it so no i can certainly appreciate uh kind of the path that you took yeah absolutely so how was it that you kind of heard about two percent for conservation um actually it was a uh, another business owner from uh, westchester county uh yearning wild who has a uh a, uh, a pet feed, you know, pet treat, uh, business. Yep. Um, and I don't remember who reached out to who or who started following who or whatever else, but I remember seeing him post up, uh, something about 2% for conservation. And I reached out to him asking, you know, what exactly is this? What does it do? You know, um, tell me about it. 
and he uh, he filled me in. He was like, it's absolutely awesome. He's like, it's, you know, 1% of your time, uh, and it's 1% of your income and, you know, from the business, and, you know, it goes towards, you know, the organization or conservation group of your choice um, where you know your money is actually going to be making a difference. Yeah, no, that's, that. yeah, uh, Yearning Wild, we've had them, I had them on the podcast. Um, yeah, super cool idea that he came up with. Um, is that someone that you know personally or just kind of came across through, like, social media, same geographical area? No, just through social media. Social media is a powerful thing. It really like, is. Sometimes, like, I can't stand it, and I, but, you know, I understand the necessity of it, especially with small businesses and things like that and trying to get your name out there and spread awareness by your brand, but there's times where sometimes it feels like a bit of a chore, right? Like, eh, I don't feel like posting anything, you know, but great things come out of it, and, and this is certainly one of them. Yeah, every once in a while, I feel like I just need to kind of take, take a step back, because um, it's yeah. a lot. It's, it's a lot of work for the whole social media aspect and keeping up and, you know, kind of knowing what's going on. And How did you find yourself in law enforcement? Was that something, is it, did you have family members that were in it or, you know, in college? It was just kind of something that you, you Um, I didn't have any family in it. Um, I actually was originally going to be a teacher. Um, went to school for that. Um, you know, and... It just, this just kind of happened, you know, I, I couldn't really see myself doing a job where, you know, it was kind of the same thing every day. Um, you know, where for me now, you never know which, you know, what's going to happen one day to the next, you know, who you're going to meet, you know, what's going to happen, you know, things like that. So it's always, you know, it's, it's not dull. I'll tell you that. Yeah, no, I, I can certainly imagine. I've had some some guests on who have uh, worked in law enforcement uh, previously, and yeah, that was kind of the same reasons why they really fell in love with it. Was it was something different every day? You know, they knew that they were making a difference. Um, you know, serving their communities and things like that. So, no, I I really respect and appreciate uh, you know individuals who who do that line of work because it oftentimes feels like a bit of a thankless job for. You know, some people, you know, have, for whatever reason, negative um, perceptions and things like that, which I, I could not disagree with more. Uh, so, no, thank you for your service, Rob. I, we really appreciate that. Thank you. Well, you know, we don't, uh, not a- anybody that I know, we don't do it for, you know, for that. You know, it's, we try to make a difference wherever we can. And, you know, it doesn't always work, but you try, you know, you do your best. Yeah. Yeah. That's all we can ask. So, back to Mountain Man deer processing. What uh, first off, what does your setup look like? I mean, as a as you know, essentially a mobile deer processor, mobile butcher, yep. uh, if you will. What is kind of the whole process? So, I'm in you know the tri-state areas. I get a deer down. I call you up and say, "Hey, Rob, got a deer down. Need your help." Kind of walk me through the process. All right, so we we would get a phone call, and it's it's usually a, a very good friend of mine, uh, Kevin Vradenberg, um, who usually comes with me on um, on the jobs. And usually we get a phone call, or I, I get the phone call. Um, person tells me, "Hey, I just got a deer. Um, can you process? Can you butcher it for me?" And I'm like, "Yep, yeah, absolutely. Where are you located? Um, you know, we'll be there in this amount of time." Um, and basically, we show up. You know, we pull right up, um, 
And then the price includes cape, quarter, process, you know, whatever custom cuts of meat they want done. Um, and then everything gets vacuum sealed and labeled. And then, uh, and then we're out of there. What is, well, first I mean, Tri-State areas, I think it's a, it's a fairly large area, and especially being more of a, a metropolitan type area, like I gotta imagine it can take anywhere from one to maybe three hours. I don't know. I mean, I haven't been out to, that way, but what is to process or to, to move around? No, to move around. Um, it really depends. You know, if this past year, um, I was actually fighting an injury, so there really wasn't much that I could do. Um, so unfortunately I had to turn a bunch of people away. Um, but they had already heard about how good our process was. Um, you know, and that's kind of why, um, we, we kept getting phone calls. Um, but, uh, no, is it a flat rate? Um, like if, if people want like specific cuts, you know, if they want, you know, turn to have you cut up, cut up some, you know, like tomahawks or something like that. Like I'm assuming that, you know, that takes more time. That's, you know, it's more precise when it comes to, to breaking down the animal. What does that look like? So for us, the way I set up the, uh, the trailer. I have a six by 12 enclosed. Um, and I have it all set up for basically everything. Um, minus the bandsaw and a couple other things. Um, so basically you're getting, um, deboned, you know, steaks, roasts, um, chopped meat, stew meat, um, you know, things like that. Um, the chopped meat, we do have uh, beef fat or pork fat, depending on what people want. And then we add that to the, to the chopped meat. Um, and usually we do a uh, 90, 10, 90 venison, 10 to fat. Um, so that you are getting that flavor more of the venison. Um, but you still need that fat content for the, uh, for the meat. Yeah. Now, I guess going back to kind of a previous question that how long does it take, you know, like once you get on site, because I'm assuming that, you know, once the, the customer calls you, like, they have the Deerfield dress, they probably maybe have it hung or they have it somewhere where it's kind of airing out the meats, you know, staying cool and everything like that. Yeah, hopefully. Um, yeah. We have, um, you know, we, we do offer uh, field dressing uh, for an additional charge. Uh, but usually if somebody calls me up, whether they use me or not, um, I'll try to walk them through how to field dress the deer. Um, cause even if we're not going to be doing the processing, I want somebody to be able to get the, you know, the best product, um, that they can. So I will walk people through field dressing and they can do it themselves. Um, if not, and they are going to use us, um, sometimes I would prefer to do the field dressing and I won't always charge people for it. Um, just because I'm going to do it, um, the best way that we can. Um, for the processing to make sure, you know, there's nothing on the meat that can taint it or cause any issues. Do you ever find that that happens a lot where someone field dressed the animal themselves and maybe they nick the guts or they tore up the tenderloins or anything like that? Do you see that fairly regularly? Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, this past year I took a lot of photos, um, and I saved them and I would actually send them to the customer um, you know, basically so that we both had a record of it and I, where I would bring them out and say, Hey, listen, before I go any further, I just want you to see this. I haven't touched it yet, 
but I'm only going to be able to save one of your tenderloins um, so that nobody accuses me of, you know, taking anything or doing anything. And that's also the nice part about being mobile um, because people have literally sat there and had a beverage while we were sitting there cutting up their deer, um, you know, or going inside to watch football or, you know, whatever else. Um, you know. Yeah, I think if it were me, I would, I would, I mean, I, I know how to field dress an animal. I can say that I've not, um, like, broke it down and butchered it, my, like, one myself. I've been a part of, like, deer camps where, you know, at the end of three or four days, if we have, you know, three or four deer or something like that, we'll all kind of do it together, right? Like, one of those types of things. And, and we're not great with it. Like, you know, there's still a bunch of silver skin and stuff that we just kind of tell everyone, like, hey, whatever you're going to take, like, you'll just trim it up after you yeah. thaw and decide to, to eat it and whatnot. But... For someone like me, it would be super interesting to sit here and watch you work, right? Like, I would be the guy, like, having a beer, look, you know, looking over your shoulder, but not, like, trying to tell you to do something wrong, right. but, like, hey, why'd you do this? How'd you do that? Like, that kind of things. Like, I'd want to know for, you know, for my own personal curiosity. Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, and we, we actually did do a lot of that. We actually got to a point now where um, we've been offering classes. So if somebody calls us up, um, they have a deer, we'll show up you know, for whatever price it was. Um, and basically we will break the whole thing down. We will do, you know, show the customer the whole, how you do one side of the deer, how they want it done. And then basically we sit there and walk them through how to do the other side. Um, which is, you know, kind of cool. And then, you know, whatever questions they have, we're right there to walk them through it and, you know, teach people how to do it themselves. Yeah. Cause I think that hands-on experience, like being able to, have someone talk you through while you're actually doing it is so much more beneficial than trying to watch a YouTube video sometimes or have someone try to talk you through it, whether it's on the phone or even, you know, standing, well, that's not, not standing next to you, but having someone while you're there doing it, I think, and allowing them to do it themselves. I mean, it's, it's the start of that muscle memory, right? Like you, you're going to retain a lot more of that information if you do it yourself, as opposed to, you know, while you're doing, you're telling me why you're doing it because, chances are next time they have a deer down there you go shit what the hell was rob saying that day like god damn i don't remember anything that he told me yeah and, and that's what's nice you know um i don't remember exactly what the price was at the in right now um but the price included literally you call us at any point in time you get another deer and we'll walk you through it and that's actually happened you know and that you know my, my phone is always on you know for those you know good good customers good you know people and you know everything else like that yeah. Um, so, so how long would you, would you say it takes you to actually like you show up? Deer's deer's ready to go, right? Uh, start to finish. Uh, one, once again, it also depends on what they want, what they're looking for. Um, but it could usually take about an hour and a half. Um, maybe maybe two hours at most, and then we're out of there. Yeah. No, that's. I mean, you know, you figure from the time you get a deer down. You get it field dressed, you get it to a place, and then, you know, assuming that you're, you know, relatively close by, I mean, that's pretty good to have a deer on the ground and in your freezer in under five hours, potentially, oh, I and mean, that's, yeah. that's fairly rare. And that that's also why we kind of did it, you know, looking looking back, you know, I've never used a processor before, um, but I had heard a lot of stories from people who, you know, they drove how far to go have their deer processed. They have to drop it off, 
They have to wait how long. You don't know if you're actually getting your deer back. Um, you know, and that was a big thing for us where people know that exact same day that they call us that they got their deer, it's going to be in the freezer later that day, you know, vacuum sealed and ready to go. Um, you know. Yeah. The, you're having, or I guess knowing that the, the meat that you're getting back is your own, like, that's a big thing. Like, because I've taken plenty of deer to processors and I feel like a lot of times what they'll do is there's one particular, it's a, it's a smokehouse where they sell all sorts of, you know, venison or different types of jerky and all that stuff. But they have, you know, a fairly good process in terms of like, you have to wait in line, you get to their scale, they help you get the deer out, they weigh it. And they can basically say, you know, if the deer is 200 pounds, you know, dressed like, okay, you'll have hundred pounds of meat or you know, yeah. just for rough numbers, yeah. right? two weeks later you show back up because they say you know you have to choose your cuts and all that stuff it's like you're just getting venison i feel like at that point yeah there's almost no way to guarantee and i would almost guess that they would not be able to guarantee that it's your deer oh absolutely and and that was another thing like you don't know how somebody took care of their deer or if they you know or if they did it all you know we actually we had to turn a few people away where I'm sure a couple other processors, like really big ones, probably would have taken those deer. Um, you know, and we unfortunately had to turn people away because those deer were rotten. And we don't want to, and we won't ever take a chance on processing deer for somebody that they could get sick off of. Yeah. You know. You know, barring last season, you said when you were kind of fighting an injury, on a typical year, like let's say we're going into, you know, the 2023 season, how many deer would you say that that you guys process? Um, so this is a, this past year was really only the second year. Um, okay. Full first year, if anything. Um, we got. I, I probably got well over 125 phone calls. Um, you know, as a mobile processor, but we weren't able to do even close to that. Um, just because of the injuries and everything. Yeah, that's a lot of deer. Yeah. yeah. That's like a, I mean, that's, that's almost like a full-time job in and of itself. Oh, absolutely. You know, and it's, it's all really thanks to social media and everything, you know, and word of mouth and, you know, it's, that helped a lot, you know, um, starting off the first year, which we really didn't do a whole first year. Um, we had a bunch of repeat customers cause they loved the process. You know, we took a little extra off every piece, but there was no trimming. There was, you took that meat out, you marinated and you were good to go. And a lot of people really liked that, um, you know, and, and we, we do, we do for other people exactly what we would do for ourselves. And I think that's why people were so happy. Yeah. I think there's something to be said about that, especially someone who can appreciate the, the work that goes into processing your own, your own deer and, you know, just being able to provide for yourself, for your family with, you know, all that wild meat, like you want to treat that like it's almost like gold, right? Yeah. Like I've told this story before, but I have a, uh, like a deep freezer in the garage that mm. for the most part, it's a lot of wild game meat. And two summers ago, maybe three at this point, uh, my son, who was like two at the time, uh, we were out in the garage driveway goofing around. I mean, it was in the summertime and I, he ran over to the freezer and he was like messing around with it. And I wasn't really paying attention. I go out to get some meat like a week and a half later, and he had turned the dial 
to defrost. Oh boy. And I had no idea. I mean, I had at least a deer and a half in there. I had bear meat. I had, you know, salmon. I had like, I had so much wild game and it almost like didn't register with me at first. Like I opened the lid. I was like, man, this looks like something is off here. This, this doesn't look right. And I like grabbed something and I thought to myself like, huh, this isn't very cold. Like what's the deal here? So to take that approach that you're going to give someone the same quality and care that you would take with your own, I think says a lot. Absolutely. You know, and, and when you have a business like this, that's the only way that you could really do it. You, you know, um, it's important to us. And I think a lot of people really do appreciate that. Yeah, no, absolutely. So how long did it take, you know, growing up, you know, in a hunting family and, and processing a lot of deer yourself, you know, growing up, at what point did you really feel comfortable, like, breaking down a deer, not just field dressing, but, like, breaking it down, you know, skinning it, deboning it, you know, hide, all that stuff? Yeah, um, that's a good question. Probably 10, 15 years ago, you know, um, you know, just doing it so often, you know, you kind of... You know, you kind of—I don't want to say get good at it, but you know, it kind of—it kind of gets—you know—comes second nature, and you know. Yeah. How much time do you actually get to spend in the field then? If I mean, if, if you know, like last year, for example, if you fielded, you know, over 125 calls. Now, granted, you weren't able to, you know, help all those people out, but I mean, gosh, how much time do you even get in a tree stand or in the woods? Um. So it's honestly, it's a lot of preseason uh, prep work. You know, doing the cameras, getting out. I'm, I'm still a big bow hunter. You know, that's that's my thing. Um, you know, and I'll never lose that. But also, family is really important to me. You know, um, I learned a lot after last year and even the first year. You know, it, it kind of sucks to have my, you know, at the at the time, my three-year-old daughter come over and say, Hey, Daddy, come play with me. And it's like, hey, baby girl, I can't. You know, I have to go cut up a deer. You know, and... You know, after that, I was like, you know, I love the business. You know, it's not my main source of income, you know, and now this upcoming season, I'm going to do, you know, I'm going to take a lot of, you know, good customers, you know, um, but I'm going to spend more time with my family also, you know, I'm going to, you know, do the pumpkin picking. And if when I can find time for me to hit the woods, I'm going to. Um, you know, and if I can't take a call, then I'm, I'm not going to, if I could find people that could process for me, absolutely. That would be awesome. Um, you know, I definitely wouldn't be making even close to the amount of money, but at least the business would still be working and, you know, the name would still be out there and everything else. Yeah. And there's that trade off, right? Like making sure that, you know, you have the integrity that you want behind the business, but you know, you said it very well, like family's important, like that kind of comes first for anything majority of us, right? like, absolutely if like this past season um for whatever reason like it the way things just worked out like i think i spent six or seven days hunting and yeah. that was it i didn't get out with, I, I didn't get out during rifle season at all it was all during bow season yeah and yeah it's just it's the way it goes sometimes right yeah. like, i don't regret it um you know hopefully next year i can spend some more, more time but you know like you know you said you know, you, you mentioned your daughter was, was was fairly young there. I mean, my kids are right around that same age. One, my son just turned four today, mm. and my daughter's six. So, yeah. like, I know exactly what that's like. You know, at the same time, you want to be able to enjoy the time in the woods, but 
you know, kids are only young once, right? Absolutely. No matter what, family comes first. Yeah. So. Yeah, that's that's awesome. So do you ever think that, you know, hopefully as time goes, that maybe you add, like, a second mobile unit or something like that so that it kind of takes some of the burden off of you as long as, you know, assuming you trust the people that are doing it and, and the quality of work that they're doing that you can service more customers or you can cover, you know, maybe a larger area? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I would love to have that. You know, we actually – um, set up a business expansion plan um, in order to do something like that. Um, and once again, like you said, it's just it's trying to find that those good workers, you know, those you know those hunters, those people that have a background in it, um, you know, that know their way around a knife that can you know process, um, you know, anywhere. You know, we had we had been in uh, talks with. Uh, uh, quite a few people and everything's kind of at this point falling through with the way the economy is and everything else like that. Um, but you know, we'll see, it's always a possibility. Yeah. So we, we kind of touched on the, the 2% thing earlier, but what are some of the organizations that you've decided to work with and get back to? All right. So I, I, I love bear hunting. That's like my, you know, deer whitetail is one thing. Um, but I got really hooked into, uh, Black bear hunting. Uh, I absolutely love it. To me, it's it's a rush. You know, whether you shoot something or not, it's just, you know, it's more important for me to be able to go sit in the woods and relax. And that's where I kind of, you do a lot of thinking, you know. Um, and and that's, that's where it's important. But the black bear hunting, you know, to have that bear come in so quiet and, you know, you don't really see him until the last second and everything else like that. Um, um, Isn't it amazing, though, that an animal that size can be that quiet? It's incredible. Because you think about, you know, think about when you're bow hunting, right, especially on a calm day, late October, right? A lot of leaves are on the ground. If it's a dry day, like, I mean, you can hear field mice. Oh, yeah. And it sounds like, I mean, it's very loud. I mean, now, granted your senses are very heightened. You're very in tune with your surroundings and what's going on, but a bear yeah. to be able to like, you know, move through the woods like that stealthily is, is super impressive. Oh, it's, it's incredible. So with that being said, um, I recently got connected with the American bear foundation. Um, you know, and I, I spoke to the gentleman that runs that, you know, organization and I really love what they're doing. You know, and, uh, you know, we lost for the past three years the bear hunt in New Jersey due to political reasons. Um, but what hunters and conservationists knew was going to happen is exactly what happened. The bear population absolutely exploded, um, you know, and now it's causing a lot of issues where bears are attacking people. Bears are attacking, you know, pets. Bears are going for food in people's garages, um, they're getting hit by cars, causing a lot of damage, causing injuries, cause, you know, um, because that population needs to be kept in check like every other population, um, of animals. Um, yeah. that, you know, and I completely agree, it's, you know, it's sad to, when decisions like that are put in the hands of policymakers and not biologists. Oh, absolutely. You know, state game regulation, you know, regulators and, and people who who know and have made it their life's work to understand 
what the population can do if it's not kept in check, if there's, you know, not bag limits on, on animals and things like that, because it's, it's like you said, I mean, I've been hearing about the New Jersey thing for, you know, at least, you know, the last five years and where it's gotten. And it's, uh, it's hard to believe that someone won't step in or that, you know, someone that's elected to political office has that clout to say, you know, just because, you know, certain constituent constituents, um, you know, maybe don't like hunting, right? It's like, no, we don't, don't, we can't hunt bears. Like that's, no, no, no. It's like, well, you're going to see what's going to happen then if they're not kept in check and lo and behold, it's. Oh, absolutely. And it was going to happen, you know, Um, but seeing what we can do for the populations to make them even better is what's important and what conservation is really all about. You know, and, and making sure that we have all these resources and everything else for the future, for my kids, for my children's kids, you know, um, you know, and, and that's why conservation is so important. You know, uh, I love seeing them. I love seeing them in the woods, you know. Do you ever do any of your processing like on bear or is it just primarily whitetail? I can. Um, it just, it also depends on time. Um, you know, in order to do a bear right, it takes a while. Um you know, and I don't want to do anything at all if I can't put everything into it and if I'm going to be rushed and everything else like that. Um, yeah. You know, yeah, and... You're do, you want to make sure you do it right. Oh, absolutely. And that's the only way to do things, you know. Um, and a lot of the times when we actually did get phone calls, um, we were actually in the middle of processing, you know, deer. So we were unable to take it, Um but there's a there's a brick and mortar um, processor that's pretty close um, that I actually sent quite a few bears to and you know we you know weren't able to do a lot I sent a lot up to him and I, I learned a lot from him and he's he's awesome he's he's I call him the original gangster because he's uh he's been doing this for a while um, oh, gee, oh yeah absolutely and uh, his name's Roger he's a great guy you know and I've been up there and I just you know I just go up I hang out process a couple deer with him and I leave and you know just like to hang out and talk to him he's a great guy so as someone who you know for uh, a side gig a passion project you know whatever we want to call the second you know source of income business which typically a lot of people that get into those things like it is a passion project right like it is something that is very near and dear to them as as someone who you know processes you know close to hundreds of deer a year what is your personal favorite cut on a deer? Uh, that's funny. A lot of people ask me that. Um, you know, everybody always says the back straps and the tenderloins and everything else like that. I, I, I love, you know, the the top round and the bottom round. You know, there's so much that you can do with those. Yeah. You know, it, it's, you know, I, I love it. It's incredible. You know, the steaks, the roast, the stew meat. You know, there's, there's a lot that you can... You know, you can you can do a lot with them. So I really I love the roasts. Yeah, and you know that's the back straps, the tender ones. Like you said, like those are easy answers, right? Like I mean, and in my opinion, like there's only one way to cook those, right? Like you cook it till it's rare, yeah, maybe medium rare, and you slice it and you go to town. Right? Oh, absolutely. You don't, to, yeah. you don't need to do a lot with it, right? Like no. It's not, it's, yeah. a good, it's just a really good steak, and that's how you cook, in my opinion, a really good steak. Yeah. But with those other those other cuts, like I feel like it takes a little bit of technique, right? And you know, some of 
you can slow cook for hours. Oh, absolutely. You really get the, the flavor and, and everything out of that meat. And I think that's what a lot of people tend to overlook, right? Like they just want, give me burgers, give me steaks, give me the tenderloin, give me the backstrap, yeah. and I'm good. And, or, you know, they'll take all the, you know, the top round, the bottom round, they'll grind it up and, you know, they'll make jerky and stuff. And right, they each their own. But absolutely. A lot of people miss the boat if they're not, you know, cooking those things to their potential. Absolutely. All right, good question. So, this past season was your second full year. What do you kind of have in store? I mean, you've talked about, you know, uh, an expansion plan as time goes on, but, you know, what does 2023 and maybe 2024 look like for you and the business? That's a really good question. Um, so I'm, at this point, um, I haven't really said anything yet to anybody, um, and I'm not really sure when this is going to get you know aired. Uh, I'm actually going to be coming out with a couple of my own products um, oh, right on. that uh, I know work. You know, I've been using them for years. You know, so they're you know they're battle tested. Um, so we'll see what happens. You know, there's there's a lot that could come from that, but it's also a lot of work and a lot of time that needs to be put into that. Um, so I just got to kind of figure out exactly, you know, how much I can, you know, devote to that. Yeah. But, uh, I, I would love to at some point be able to keep the business, but also be able to branch out and do a, you know, a lot more of the, the hunting part of, you know, I'll tell you what, so your episode will air, will air sooner rather than later. And I mean, like it'll air this week, later this week. So when and if that time comes that you're able to come up with your own products and stuff like that, we'll definitely get you back on so we can talk about those and what that process looked like. Because first off, a name like Mountain Man Deer Processing, like the name itself lends its, it lends itself very well to like a real outdoorsman. Right, like it's got the name, like you think like Jeremiah Johnson or something like no. that. You think of like a real mountain man, something like that. So no, I think you're you're halfway there with the name. Yeah, we'll see. You know, we'll uh, we'll see what happens. You know, there's there's a lot of potential. You know, especially when it comes to hunting. You know, but it, you also have to know that things can fail. Yeah. You know, and as long as you're okay with that, you know, and you're happy with you know what you've done. You know, that that's what's that's what's most important. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. Like you have to be prepared for I mean, plan for things to go right. I mean, if you go in there thinking, Oh, this is great, but like no, you I mean you gotta go all the way. Oh absolutely. Right? If it doesn't end up working out, it doesn't work out. At least you know you, you busted your ass, you gave it your all and that's all you can ask for at the yeah. end of the day. No, absolutely. And I, I worked hard on, on this logo too, and everybody keeps telling me, Wow, you have such a great logo, that's awesome. You know, and uh, that's gonna that's gonna keep following. You know, but uh, we'll see. I'm in the process of uh, copyright, trademark, and everything else like that on it. So we'll see what happens. Yeah, no, that's awesome. So, how long did it take to like really fine tune your mobile setup? Because you know, I think about you know mobile setups when it comes to like you know bow hunting, right? Like whether it's a saddle, whether you're you know, you got a, a hang on that you're, you know, like a lone wolf or something like that that you're packing it up, you know, all the time. And everyone's always tinkering with it and stuff like that. Like, do you find it's the same way, you know, with your mobile setup? Like, you're always tinkering with it, trying to figure out what the best, you know, knives and just general tools are with you. I mean, what is that process? Oh, abs- absolutely. A hundred percent. That's a good question. Um, 
and I'm the same way. You're always trying to figure out, all right, how can I make this better? How can I, you know, make it easier? How can I, you know, streamline it? Um, and you're always doing that, you know, like there's definitely after building this trailer with everything it's got in it. Um, I definitely, at least twice this, at this point, I've taken everything out and changed things and added things and taken things out. And I'm sure it's not going to end. It's not going to stop. I'm going to find different ways, um, of doing things to streamline and make it easier, you know? Um, and there's still things now that I would also change. But it's also, it's a 6 by 12 enclosed, you know. Um, if I got something bigger, I would, have, you know, definitely be able to do more and add more. Um, but you also have to be careful with that, you know, balancing act of not putting in too much. Right. You know, so that's a good question, yeah. Now, when it comes to, like, the bow hunting side of things, like, are you more of a minimalist? Are you kind of more of a gear junkie? Like, you just... Maybe you try something you don't like, you get rid of it, you try something new. Like, are you kind of always tinkering with, like, the whitetail setup, with your bow hunting setup? Um, honestly, not really, and I really am a minimalist. Um, yeah. You know, I've got, I I have my lone wolf climber, you know. Um, I have my backpack, which is a small backpack. I have, uh, you know, a, a limb hanger in there for my bow. Um, my, uh... Actually, I, I made a uh, a strap that goes around the tree that I um, had a couple carabiners sewed into, and that's what I hang my harness on. But then I also hang my backpack on the other carabiner, so it, it's easy access for me. Um, yeah, I like that. That's a really good idea. You know, and I have my knife. I have my rangefinder. Um, I have a small monocular. I have a you know a a, a battery charger you know, in there for my phone, um, and a bottle of water, you know, and, and off I go, you know, um, but I'm not going where I live. You're not going miles, you know, I'm sure if I was in a different location, I I would have a lot more. Um, yeah, I, I like the minimalist approach. Like I always think that I, I like a lot of different gear and stuff like that. But at the end of the day, like when I'm at the truck and I'm getting ready to go out like i've got my binos i got my range finder i have a pack but honestly like it's maybe like an extra layer if i need it maybe you know, yeah. where I, if it, you know early depending on the time of the year like me i'll wear you know a baseball hat in throw a beanie in there if it gets cold like i really don't bring that much in like usually a lot of our my sets are kind of like pre-hung mm. for the most part yeah until it gets later in the year so you know, I already have a bow hanger there. Like, I don't find yeah. myself needing a ton of stuff. As much as I would like to have all this gear, like, it would just either sit in my tote or it would sit in my backpack all day and I would never use it. Yeah. The one thing I usually have two of is, uh, is a release. Because you never know. Yeah, that's one of, the, one of the things I never carry a backup of. And I know, like, now that I'm actually, like, putting it out there and I've actually set it, it's going to backfire. It's going to bite me in the ass one of these days, right? Like, I'm going to clip in and all of a sudden the thing's just going to fall apart. And I'm be like, well, enough for that day. Yeah. Well, that and that happened to me. I got to one of my spots and uh, I reached into my bag and there's there's no release. And uh, I was like, well, that's it. You know, I'm done. You know, and packed up and out I went. You know, so after, after that, after that, it was a, a second release that's always in the bag. Oh, that's that's uh that, that should i mean that 
should be like a rule of thumb, right? Like it's like driving without a spare tire. Like you know, yeah. as soon as you do, you're gonna oh, go yeah. one. Oh, absolutely. But yeah. So Rob, before I, I let you get out of here and enjoy the rest of your evening, where can people learn more about Mountain Man? Where can you know they follow along or maybe see some like tutorials or like anything like that? Um, so we're gonna be also trying to do a lot more of that with YouTube. Um, we have a YouTube channel. Um, we have the website that answers a lot of questions. Um, it shows who we're affiliated with. Um, you know, two percent for conservation, American Bear Foundation. Um, you know, things like that. Um, so the website, Facebook, Instagram, you know, all the above. And anybody has questions? What are all those? I'm sorry. Yeah, what are all those tags? So that uh, mountain man deer processing. Okay. Yeah. Yep. That's it. Mountain man deer processing. Awesome. So. Well, Rob, I appreciate the time, man. It was great chatting with you, learning more about the company and kind of the origin story of it and all that. And uh, yeah, I look forward to getting you on here again in the future. Hopefully we can kind of talk gear and, and talk some products. Oh, absolutely. That'd be great. And I, I, I really do thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to uh, come on tonight. Yeah, absolutely. I enjoyed it, man. Well, take care of yourself and we'll talk to you soon, okay? Absolutely. All right. Well, thank you again to Rob for joining me today. Uh, I... <clears throat> I apologize about uh, the audio on my end there. Uh, if you guys stuck that out, uh, I really appreciate it. Um, I did not realize that there was that uh, echo in my mic and in my sound uh, until after we were all done recording and I started editing this. And um, unfortunately, there was just nothing I could do um, to kind of get that echo out of my end. But Rob was obviously very loud and clear. Um, so that's good. And that's really um, what matters is 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 being able to to hear uh, you know, prop story and, and everything like that. So, uh, again, I apologize. Uh, but I would like to thank the partners of the podcast, Hardside Hydration, Stone Glacier, Go Hunt, and of course, 2% for Conservation. And if you're interested in learning more about 2% for Conservation, you can visit their website, fishandwildlife.org. And over there, you're going to see all the certified brands that have committed to conservation that you should support when you shop. I also encourage you guys to give 2% a follow on social media, where it's going to be only positive conservation driven content landing in your feed. So again, if you'd like to learn more about 2% for conservation, you can look for them online on social media or at fishandwildlife.org. Thanks for joining me this week, everyone. I hope you enjoyed the episode. Again, I sincerely apologize about the uh, echoey audio on my end. Uh, I promise to do better next week. So until next week, stay safe out there and remember that conservation starts with you. (laughs) 